We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You're listening to One More Thing. Oh, and One More Thing. Wait a minute, there is one more thing I forgot about. Just one more thing. But we do have one more thing. Oh, and one more thing. That one more thing really comes back to our theme for today. It is one more thing. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. From the bar and Mike Schwabel's office. This is episode what, Mike? 67? 67. 67 of One More Thing. You can learn all about Dixon Schwabel and our podcast at DixonSchwabel.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Andrew Knobloch, and I'm with the hostess, the co-hostess with the mostess, Mike McGinnis. Hello, hello, everybody. Andrew, good to see you. It's great to be seen, as always, Mike. <laughs> uh, you're going to talk to Aisha Ash. Mm-hmm. She's a ballerina. What else do you want to tease about her? Oh, my goodness. So I just got off the phone. We just had a great conversation. We're going to go all the way across the board from the United States over to Europe and Switzerland and then back to the U.S. and to Rochester and California. We're all over the place. Uh, this is one you don't want to miss. It's a journey. But before you dive into that, what have you got for us? So many of you may have seen this. It's kind of out there right now. It's been making the rounds at Dixon Schwabel quite a bit. There's an Apple advertisement out. Now, they do great jobs with their ads already, as we know. They right? do good work. So in this one, though, it's for the the HomePod, I believe it's called. And the whole thing is directed by a guy named Spike Jones, who was like a skateboard guy who became a director. And it's it's a it's like a four minute long if you watch the internet version, maybe a minute long on TV. But it's a girl in her apartment, and as she starts moving, the apartment starts expanding, and she's a dancer. And so the whole story of uh, this HomePod is told through dance in an expanding, ever expanding uh, studio. It's amazing, and if you haven't seen it, it's like it's a work of art, really. What are the key messages? Like, what, what are they trying to say? Do you uh, think they're basically what I think they're they're going after is that this little uh, contraption from Apple can fill like the entire space. It fills an entire space, maybe even more than fills it, because the way that the ad is portrayed, it expands everything. The hallway gets really long, the couches get long. Everything is more than it was at the beginning. Highlighting the bennies, the benefits, <laughs> Mike. Benefits. They know what they're doing. The bennies. All right. <laughs> Mike is going to talk to Aisha Ash. Let's listen in. Well, everybody, joining us now is Aisha Ash, the founder of the Swan Dreams Project, and she's actually calling all the way in from California. Aisha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I know. So great to have you. I, we, we were, uh, I was like, oh, man, because you're in Rochester. You kind of split time a little bit, don't you? Yeah, well, I, 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 whenever I'm there visiting family or, you know, I have a trip that I just want to, you know, spend some time there, I try to get a lot of the Swan Dreams Project work in. Like, my last trip there was only there for four days, but we jammed packed all four of those days, um, and was, we were able to accomplish quite a bit, actually. That's awesome. I know, because uh, I know the way that I found out about you was through this article, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, yeah. it kind of set off a whole series of events. People are contacting you all different ways, yeah. and we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. But before we go there, um, let's bring it all the way back. We're going to go all the way back. Little Aisha. Okay. What, okay. Was, uh, what was your childhood like? Where were you from? Um, and what was that experience? Yeah, so I was born and raised in the inner city of Rochester, New York. Hey, <laughs> yeah. And uh, my childhood, I mean, I for me, it was pretty, uh, felt pretty normal. But, you know, looking back and having kids of my own now, I'm like, it probably wasn't. Um, just because I was always dancing. I was always busy. So I started dancing at the age of five. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I wasn't, but it wasn't really ballet. I was, I wasn't 
interested in ballet, believe it or not. Um, I was interested in and Broadway. So I was doing jazz and tap and lyrical and doing lots of competitions. So my childhood would spend a lot in the dance studio and then weekends and even summers, I would be off somewhere competing and traveling to Niagara Falls and Buffalo and Syracuse and uh, Toronto and just kind of all over the place. Um, and yeah, so that, you know, that was my childhood, which for me, I mean, that's all I knew. Um, did, did you have like, was there a family member or somebody involved? Like, where did that come from? Yeah. So you know, I was uh, the only dancer in my family and wow. I just, I, I had a lot of energy as a kid mm-hmm. and, um, I had a sister who was doing a little bit of dancing and I, I guess I would just kind of dance around, uh, with her and, and my, I think she was the one that said to my mom, like, you know, you gotta put this girl in dance, you know, she's always bopping around and we were lucky enough to, I think my mom actually started me at, um, at Carter street, uh, which was like right up the street from me that there was just kind of like the community center uh, they had some like open classes there and then I made my way down to the opposite side of the street uh, or the opposite side of the block just down going the other way we were really lucky that not too far down from us was another dance studio um, where I could even walk sometimes and uh, it was just kind of like a way just to go okay get that energy out go do something and uh, it turned into my passion and yeah, just kind of everything is sort of, you know, history from there. It was like, I like this idea of you being just like a, a, a little child ball of energy, just bouncing down the street to the different yeah. dance studios. <laughs> yeah. And I grew up, I mean, you know, it was like my two older brothers that I really looked up to. So it was really weird. I was sort of this kind of feminine tomboy <laughs> in uh, a way that I always wanted to, you know, I loved my pink and tutu and glitter and sparkles and heels and all of that. But I was like, you know, then crawling on the ground, pretending I'm in the army, like shooting grenades <laughs> and like, you know, so, and I was able to get some of that sort of daredevil side of me out in ballet when it came to partnering and tricks and throwing the girl in the air and catching her. And I love that stuff. Yeah. So you said you, you didn't start just specifically in ballet you were in all sorts of you said tapping maybe contemporary or yeah. musical theater and stuff how did you go yeah. how did you kind of narrow down yeah so what happened um initially you know i wanted to do broadway and so we had a teacher come into my my studio um and she was a guest ballet teacher and she you know told my mom that you know i should take you know ballet a little bit more seriously and especially if i wanted to um, better the other forms of dance, you know, ballet is the foundation. Um, and so if I wanted to get better at jazz and lyrical and, um, that it's would be really good if I had a strong ballet background. And initially I was hesitant, uh, because it wasn't something that I was interested in. I wanted to do Broadway and I had to go to a separate ballet studio, uh, which at the time was Tim Draper's and now it's mm-hmm. Rochester city ballet. Um, but back then it was called the, um, Tim Draper's school of dance. Um, and so I was going there and kind of doing both studios. Like I would do my, I called it competition studio where I was going and doing my jazz and tap and lyrical and, and doing a lot of competitions. And then I would split the time between going to my ballet studio. And there became a time where the other forms of dance were coming very easy for me. I was doing a lot of competitions and winning a lot um, to the point where I'd come home and you know say to my brothers I won and they were like again who cares <laughs> like we don't care <laughs> and, yeah right same old right. story we're not whatever excited anymore you know how big is the trophy okay stick it back in the box you know <laughs> and it just it got really boring um, and also it was 
I didn't really like competing. I was doing it a lot and I just wanted to dance and I didn't necessarily want to compete and beat out another person. Um, I just loved my art. And as that became boring and, you know, I, I started to lose interest in that, I started focusing more on ballet, especially because ballet was not something that came easy to me at all. I didn't have a natural facility for ballet. Um, and so that was much more of a challenge for me. Fast forward, I started to begin to take that more seriously around the age of 10 and a half, 11, which is late for ballet and especially late because I didn't have the natural facility. And it was a, um, there came a time that kids started to go away for summer camps and, and their you know, summer programs, we call them, but it's kind of like a summer camp uh, for ballet. And my mom began inquiring about those and what are they and, you know, how do you audition? And it was that time that someone told my mother that it would be difficult for me as a woman of color uh, to be a ballerina and to enter this world and, you know, to start taking it to the next level. And when I heard that, I was like, now I have to do it. And it was, you know, for me, it was that challenge. But also, this was something I sort of carried in me even before beginning ballet because I was an inner city kid and I was went out to a suburban school. I was part of the urban suburban program. I went out to Thornell Road and then Pittsburgh Minden. Um, but being very young, even at the elementary school age, you know, once we were bussed out there, you know, you were we faced some adversity, you know, you faced the sort of adolescent, you know, inquiry mind, you know, and they were basing that upon, you know, the stereotypes that were perpetuated in the media, you know, things like, you know, do you have a drug dealer on every corner? And, you know, I was asked questions, you know, do you have a front yard? Do you have a backyard? Do you have grass on your front yard? Is it dirt? Um, and when you're very young, you know, you're talking first, second, third grade, that has an effect on you and it sort of affects, you know, who it's almost like a blow to who you are, your identity, the place where you're from and your community. Um, and I saw kids deal with that in different ways. You know, there were some kids that, you know, would kind of just have like a sharp tongue and come back with something um, a little bit more aggressive. And then there were some kids that just wanted to just blend in and just pretend that they're, you know, they're not from the city. They're not, you know, just wanting to be like everybody else. And I was somebody in the middle that I just felt like dialogue was really important. I always wanted to find a way to kind of flip the script and almost, you know, kind of put the mirror back on them so that they can see themselves and see what they're saying is probably not very kind. Um, so to sort of make it a like a learning moment for them. Um, and when I heard that about ballet, this was just sort of a continuation of this mission that I developed as a young child, which was just, you know, challenging these stereotypes and um, kind of combating them with, you know, who I really am and who I feel that, you know, we as people of color are and those from inner city communities. I like that. Um, there, there's like a an aspect to this story that is like people had like preconceived notions or ideas or try to put you in a box of some sort and you and you use that to kind of drive you forward and say, no, 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 wait, I can, yeah. I can do this too. Yeah. And it wasn't, and it was kind of this subtle way of doing it, you know, and I find that I found that that's even before dance, I was doing that as a child without even realizing it. And, you know, I sort of did that through my art without just blasting in somebody in someone's face going, yes, I'm doing this because I'm trying to make a difference. I was just doing it. And I felt that just me, I thought what better way than, you know, sh challenging stereotypes than as a ballerina. I mean, that's just the opposite of 
everything that the media tries to portray women of color and especially those from inner city, you know, um, challenged environments, um, what they're trying to say that we are and how the media portrays us. And yeah, and besides the fact that I loved it and I wasn't, you know, dance is my passion and I just, I love all forms of dance, but I, you know, I, I love ballet as well, but I sort of use that as, you know, this is such a wonderful platform that I could sort of challenge these stereotypes through my art. I mean, that that's, I, I love that. That's awesome. And clearly <laughs> it worked out pretty well. You spent time with the, the New York City Ballet for a while and you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation of this Bayard yeah. Ballet? <laughs> so, yes, it's Bejar. Oh, God. And... Okay, close. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry. Yeah, so after I'm going, I went to, I finally got into the School of American Ballet and I spent three summers and two years there. And then from there, I got into the New York City Ballet where I spent almost eight years. And then that's when I went off to uh, Lausanne, Switzerland, and danced with uh, Bejar Ballet de Lausanne. Um, and stayed there for two years. Yeah. Oh my God! You just saying those words, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> how was how was um how was how were those experiences? And how were they different? Were they any different? Are they similar? Yeah. So they were very different. I mean, you know, with New York City Ballet, we were. I was at a company at the time that I was in the company. I think we had 99 to 100 dancers. Um, when I left New York City Ballet and went to Bejar there were i think between 35 and 40 dancers so the just the size alone was different um and they spoke french <laughs> and you know you know the you know maurice bejar was you know choreographing and everything in french and even the audition was in french and i didn't even know that i pretty much got the job and it took another <laughs> yeah i was you know sort of leaving the audition with you know my little number you know safety pinned on my leotard and it was another dancer grabbing me on the shoulder going no you you need to stay they called your number and i was like oh okay wait but did they call like, it in I, french and so you didn't know it was your yes, number <laughs> exactly i had no idea you're like well my work um, here is done i guess i'm heading exactly. out they're like no 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 <laughs> exactly exactly and so which you know, sort of pushed me to learn the language, which I now have soon forgotten because I married an Italian and he was like, you don't need to know French anymore. Now mm -hmm. you need to learn an Italian. <laughs> so, so it's like now I speak Italian uh, and, and I can, you know, sort of pick up things when I hear people speaking French and sort of recall like, yes, I remember a little bit. But uh, yeah, I had to force myself. Um, I only spent two years there, but by my second year, I was I was speaking French and, and able to get by and, and understand the majority of what was happening and what was going on and and make friends and you know people who the first year couldn't speak to me and now by the second year I was speaking and making more friends um so that was very different um I think that also the difference with uh that company which I really liked um people from in the New York City Ballet usually come up from the School of American Ballet and they're all sort of learning that technique which is the balancing technique and so they've all kind of come from the same school the same school of thought the same backgrounds and where in Europe there were dancers from all over the place and I mean first generation it wasn't like well yes my you know my mom was from Belgium or my mom's mom I mean these were people from Belgium from France from Spain from Cuba from Brazil from Japan from China and that was just amazing we also toured all the time so basically my little apartment in Lausanne Switzerland was my closet 
because we were always on tour. We're New York City Ballet. We only went away from New York State Theater pretty much twice a year. Once was our time where we spent our stint for three weeks in Saratoga, New York. And then when we do, you know, uh, a tour somewhere. Um, And but otherwise, we were always in New York City at New York State Theater. Whereas with uh, Bejar, we were always on tour. So we were always packing up that suitcase, flying somewhere or taking the train somewhere. Um, so that was very different as well. And seeing those dancers from different places, from different background, but also from different training. So everyone's training was not the same. You know, the, the Cuban training was one way, people from Paris Opera, people from the Royal, like they all had different styles of ballet training. And to see that all in one room, I just felt like as an artist was just so enriching. Um, so I loved that. I really loved that. That's uh, yeah. Anytime I'm a, I'm a I'm a big into travel, and I always encourage everybody to get out um, to yes. especially countries that they haven't been to or places that don't speak their language, uh, because Absolutely. you learn so much and the perspectives are so different, and it just kind of fills in a lot of stuff that you didn't even know you didn't know. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, now you took all of this. And I'm going to bring it all the way up to current day because eventually you made it back to the States and you yes. settled in um, California. And yes. now, tell me what you're doing now. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, I left um, I left Bijar and I joined, I came to San Francisco and joined Alonzo King Lines. And then I went freelance for a couple of years with Christopher Wielden. Um, and it was when I retired, I retired a little bit early. Um, and it was when I retired that I had was married and I had given birth to my first child, which was my daughter. Um, and there was a moment that I was just sitting on the sofa and she was sort of playing around the coffee table and I was watching TV and an image came on the screen. It was a commercial. It was just one of your very stereotypical images of a woman of color. Um, and I remember at that moment just getting very frustrated. Um, I started thinking back on my career and just all the sacrifices that not only I had to make, but my family had to make in order for me to reach the level that I did. Um, and just to take it back quickly, one second is I left City Ballet early. I mean, I was only there for you know seven and a half, eight years. Um, but I, one of the reasons why I left was just before getting into the company, I lost my sister to cancer. Hmm. And then once I was at the company, I lost my father to cancer. And it was, you know, just a little bit after that, that I decided to retire from the company. And I was going to retire from dance altogether um, because I was just, I just felt like I I couldn't go on anymore. Um, And not only as a woman of color, I felt like I had to work twice as hard, but also being someone that um, didn't start ballet early on and feeling that I had so many obstacles in my training um, and in my facility, I also had to work twice as hard because of that. Yeah. So I felt like each and every day I had to give 175% to prove myself. And, you know, once I lost my father, I just felt like I just could not do that anymore. And so when I left City Ballet, I felt like I was leaving my dream behind of wanting to, you know, show society that women of color are more than a stereotype. And even though I continued dancing with other companies, there was something about being the only woman of color with City Ballet and what that would have meant. Because the other companies, I I wasn't necessarily the only woman of color. And it, mm. and it 
you know, wasn't as much of a stigma as it was here in the United States. So there was something about making that difference in that company and what that would have stood for. Um, So I felt like once I left City Ballet, that dream sort of just got left behind and I wasn't going to continue dancing. I was just going to become a waitress in New York um, and got and got convinced to keep dancing. Um, So in that moment when I was, you know, watching that on the screen, looking at my daughter and, and reflecting back on my career, I was very sad in that moment and just thinking, God, I I had given it up so long ago and now there's just nothing I can do. I just have to sit here on the sofa, look at these images and just go, okay, well, you know, I guess that's just the world sees that that's what we are. And I thought, no, there's just got to be something I can do. I can't. I can't just sit idle and just do nothing. And it made me think back to, in that moment of reflection, I thought back to my time at the School of American Ballet. And I was staying, when I was a year-round student, we stayed in dormitories, and we shared the dormitory building with the Juilliard students. So you're really almost like a college experience in a way of as far as dorm life. And in the dorms, there was a, a picture on the wall of then-dancer Andrea Long. And at the time she was, while I was at the school, she was the only black dancer, female dancer, in the company. And they had her image, um, there was an image of her in the School of American Ballet dormitories. And so those days when I felt like I could not go on, I'm just, I feel so, I feel like an outcast. This is just too hard. I just want to go back home, surrounded by people who look like me and my culture, my community, and just feeling loved. Um, I would look at that image and it just gave me so much power and courage and validation and drive. And I thought, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. And just, I know she had to struggle like I'm struggling now and she's probably still struggling because she's the only you know black female in the company right now and sitting on the sofa looking at the daughter looking at the screen thinking about that image I thought wow that one singular image was so powerful for me and I didn't have a mentor I had no one I just just looking at that picture just would fill me and give me you know that that extra umph I needed to go on the next day and I thought well maybe that's what I could do I could use images I'm not dancing anymore, and I had no desire to go back to working six days a week, 12 hours a day. <laughs> uh, so I was like, that's what I could do. I could use imagery. And I you know, called up a photographer in Rochester, and it was really important that I told them, A, I wasn't dancing anymore. So I'm not going out there doing like Swan Lake in the middle of the street. And but besides the fact, like I don't think that would be the smartest what, thing to do in point What two. is that lady doing over there, man? Yeah. What is she doing? <laughs> and so I, it's not, it's, I mean, you know, dancing in point shoes on cement is not the smartest thing to do. Yeah, sure. Uh, but, but right. But that, that wasn't the idea. You know, it was really important for me that I explained to them, you know, sort of gave them a little bit of my background. And, and it was important for me that the attributes that one, you know, sort of, resigns for a ballerina that that comes through the image and seeing a woman of color portray that and also seeing that within my community that someone not only a woman of color is exhibiting these qualities but someone from you know an environment like where I was born and raised is exhibiting these qualities um and once I took the images I thought well fantastic I I'm going to just kind of create this ad campaign almost and just sort of plaster the images all over Rochester on bus stops. Yes, you know. this is one of my favorite Every, things, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I want it at the bodega, I want it at the, you know, the bus stop on the corner. <laughs> Every street on, corner you know, you're going to see these, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like in community centers. And then I started 
I got home. I Uh-oh. started doing my research. Oh, no. and I, yeah, it was a big uh-oh. checking out the numbers. I was like, I cannot afford this. Oh, this is way and too much. I, <laughs> I had no idea. Like even just a bus stop, like there's rent. <laughs> it's yes. not just plastering. Like you have to pay rent for those. This is stuff that yeah, you wouldn't think about. No, not at all. I just, I never crossed my mind. I thought, you know, you just hire this company. They sort of open the glass and put that up and close it. And then there's your image, right? And no, it's not at all like that. And it's quite expensive. And even, even printing, just printing posters is just, it's, it gets expensive. It gets very expensive. And so I realized I'd already spent quite a chunk of money for the photos themselves and hiring a photographer. And it was all just out of my pocket. And I thought, okay, well, I've already done enough, you know, and yeah. uh, my, you know, I've already kind of convinced my husband, you know, who's an engineer that's very, that's not, you know, this sort of dreaming artist like <laughs> I am already, you know, he's just looking at the numbers going, yeah, okay, I was going to say wanna, very dollars right, and cents. You want to save every little black girl from what now? Like, <laughs> like, what's happening? And, but, you know, he's super supportive. And, you know, so already I was like, okay, I'm not asking, taking any more out of our house, household for this. So I have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to plaster them there and see what happens. And it was the reaction that I got from that. Now it's nothing at all the the viral thing that happened with the the recent images, but it was enough to sort of make me sit back and go not only did they get it, which I was so happy about. It wasn't that people were just looking going, "Oh, that's a pretty photo." They were it was this real visceral reaction that I was getting back, which is what I wanted. And and the other thing that shocked me is that it wasn't young dancers, which I initially thought that maybe that's who it would have that's who I would have touched. Sure. These were people and older adult women writing to me, you know, saying that the images had brought them to tears, they can't stop crying, um, that it just brought back all these memories of when they first started dance and why they gave up or inspiring other people you know if i had an image like this i never would have given up or now looking at your image it just makes me want to like pull my shoes out in my leotard and return to class or even just people saying you know this is just so uplifting i'm not a dancer but we need to see more images like this society needs to see this this is so uplifting this is so empowering keep going and then there were people captioning the images themselves which is these really powerful messages and I thought I've got something here and, and they've got it um, and then it became and so I thought that was just it like that's all I wanted to do I just wanted to counter negative images with something positive and yeah. that's it I didn't think anything else because I you know the idea was to just kind of put them around you know my hometown of Rochester New York around the inner city and right because I couldn't do that you know I just was putting them online and just hoping that it reached people and um it was sort of my clap back at you know what media <laughs> was throwing at us right yeah absolutely and, so something positive out there yeah yeah and I I know like I'm no celebrity I'm not this but I was like if I just reach a couple of people like I've I've done something but then it began people began asking to purchase the images and that sort of threw me back because I I had no interest in making money off of this whatsoever and I thought well and then it became more and more people asking I went well geez I guess I I need to offer them to them and I thought well what if they pay for them maybe I could use the money to reach back out into the community, you know, uh, find organizations that are already trying to offer free ballet classes or just offer classes to kids in the community to give them something to do positive. Um, And then it started turning into, 
other schools asking me to donate images because they wanted to inspire their student of color uh, or could I donate images for a fundraiser um, that they're hosting because they have a lot of kids who can't afford classes so they need to raise money to pay for these kids to keep taking lessons and it became that and it you know all the excitement of I want to buy I want to buy me too me too me too and then once you put them out there then not a lot of people showed up to the table right um, so in the initially it just it just continued with me just reaching into my pockets and it was 100% self-funded just printing printing sending 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 and sending and sending um, and that got quite expensive um, but that's what I was doing initially and that started in 2011. Okay. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until recently that an article came out, which was an article from last year. Yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe 2011 because I saw this article, yeah. yeah, from last year. Exactly. Yeah, it was a Dance Magazine article from last year. And so little articles have found me along the way. So it's since 2011, it's not that nothing happened. Like people would find me and get the reaction, which is the reaction that people are having suddenly now. They would get that reaction, so I would do things like, you know, Girls Inc. of Alameda, you know, contacted me, or a museum in Tennessee contacted me. Um, there was an article I did for The Guardian. So there were things that along the way that people have reached out and saw the images and had this reaction and just thought it was something phenomenal. But as far as, you know, you know, the wide mainstream, you know, just people seeing it and, and it going viral the way it did, um, and it was, yeah, it was an article from last year that suddenly went out this year. I'm not even sure how and yes. why, and I have no idea how social media works, but it went viral. And it was, you know, people writing me going, D.L. Hughley posted it, and Tyrese posted it, and George Takai posted it. And you're <laughs> like, what? What is happening? And a friend writing me, you're trending on Reddit. And I'm like, what like, is happening? Yeah. <laughs> because the article sort of popped up on my Facebook feed, and it's, you know, they sort of always – you know, those those memories that popped up like a year ago today, this is what you posted. And it was, you know, a year ago today, this is what you posted and you have the option to repost it. Well, I didn't because, you know, yeah, I had already yeah. posted it last year. Like, yeah, it's already out there. Yeah. And there was, you know, there was just, you know, I got like a few dozen people liking it and it was there was nothing much like nothing happened. I was like, well, I'm not going to post it again. You know, I've already posted it and, you know, a few people shared it and, you know, nothing much happened with it. And suddenly this year, someone found it. It got picked up, and it just went. It went viral. It went bonk. That and that's that's a uh, that's essentially how I found you. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what what is going on? And so yeah. so I had for for our listeners out there, I had reached out uh, to Aisha on Twitter. Is how I reached out to her. Um, but I want to read you something from her website here. It says the Swan Dreams Project is its goal. The Swan Dream Project's goal is to convey the message that beauty and talent are not constrained by race or socioeconomic status, and we want our youth to know that they are not limited by stereotypes nor by their environment, but only by their dreams. And there's a donate button down there. And I want to know um, if yes. we can, if first off, what's the website? How can we get in yes. contact with you? And what happens if we donate and how can we help? Yes. So the website is www.theswandreamsproject.org. All the information is there. All my social media links are there. Um, and there's also information. So we function as a nonprofit uh, through our fiscal sponsorship. Our fiscal sponsored is Fractured Atlas. So every donation is tax deductible. Um, and basically what I do with the donations and what we are doing and have done is I have given away hundreds and hundreds of images 
Um, I've also donated to other organizations that I see are in need or who reach out to me. I've uh, recently donated um, just in one school alone. I donated almost 400 images to every student in the school. I've donated to another school like almost 400 bookmarks. Um, they on top of the bookmarks they wanted 40 images for every classroom um, I've donated large canvas prints to a library um, that uh, opened up at a juvenile detention center oh man these, um, are, these are everywhere they're they're starting to get everywhere <laughs> there's another and they're expensive to print it's not easy um, and so there's a, another school that had reached out to me that they didn't have proper ballet bars or proper costuming. Uh, they had one costume that they used year after year for all of the girls and the costumes are ripped and tattered. Um, I wasn't able, with the, do the limited donations that I have, I wasn't able to provide them costumes and ballet bars, mm -hmm. but I thought the most important thing to provide to them were ballet bars. So I bought these girls ballet bars um, and I shipped them out to Florida. Um, and ballet bars are also not cheap and I, I couldn't even afford them, you know, the best of the best, but I was at least able to get them. I mean, they were using PVC pipes yeah. for a ballet bar. And I just thought if they want to have proper training, they need a real functional ballet bar. Uh, and so I purchased the ballet bars and this is all through donations. Um, so the donations just helped me to do that work. Currently, I'm reserving just a small portion of the donations because I would like to find a space here. We're trying to, I, I'm living currently in, in San Jose, California. Mm -hmm. we're, we're looking for a space um, that hopefully somebody can donate, but if they don't, I want to reserve just a, some of those donations to at least be able to rent a space for a good four to six week period where I can offer ballet classes for free. Um, oh, wow. I've already taught. I've already taught a free ballet class. I think it was, I think we went about uh, five to six weeks at my uh, daughter's elementary school and I this was before donations were rolling in I um, provided all the materials that the kids needed to teach the class I then they then decided they wanted the girls to do a little showcase so I purchased for all the girls tiaras and tutus and little wands um, and back then that was all for my pocket so moving forward if I do things like that it would be great to have donations to help me with that um, or if there's kids who come and they don't have shoes or they don't have the proper attire that I would be able to provide that to them. Um, currently, I will be returning back to Rochester on April 26th. And I'm working with a woman um, called Jackie McGriff. And uh, she, I think her website is Jackie's Photos. And she has a, a project where she works with young girls and she takes images that does like a photo session with them for free and it's all about building their self-esteem and so we did uh, a radio show together on WXXI and when I heard about her I was like we have so much in common you know and they, there's something that we I see something here and I, I want to link up with you so on the 26th we are going to get together and do sort of a Swan Dreams Project photo shoot where we're going to get some of the young girls from the community and sort of just um do sort of a, a very, you know, ethereal and sort of swan dreamish photo shoot together with the girls. And I can just sort of teach them some small movements and graceful poses and uh, and just kind of empower them through sort of my art of ballet and through imagery and get those images out there. So currently we're um, looking to purchase some costuming for the girls that they can wear for the shoot and headpieces. 
Um, we would love, we're trying to reach out to places like Trader Joe's and Wegmans um, to see if they can provide some healthy snacks for the girls because it'll be a long day for them. They'll be from school and then coming there and they'll probably run into close to dinner time so that we can at least kind of feed them and keep them energized yeah. and going. Um, so this is the kind of work I'm doing. Uh, and so all of the donations go into that. And the more donations I get, the more that I can do. So with this project uh, suddenly going viral, the donations had started to flow in and it still is nothing compared to what you know most nonprofits have. But for me, going from just being 100% self-funded to suddenly even seeing you know $100, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is amazing. And what I was able to do in such a short amount of time with just suddenly the donations flowing in is just a drop in the hat for what I, I could do um, if I just keep people interested and, and keep the donations flowing in. Well, Aisha, this is this has been awesome. I thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. Guys, it's ladies and gentlemen, it's the Swan Dreams Project.org. The Swan Dreams Project.org. And uh, if you didn't I mean if you didn't hear all the things going on with these donations, they're going all over the place. We've got every single type of equipment you can need. We're looking into maybe having some classes and more classes and they're going all all across the country. This has been great. Uh, Aisha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And I just wanted to add really quickly that I will be, I have met with the mayor. Um, I will be meeting with the commissioner when I come back in April because oh, we would love to, yeah, we, I would love to set up something that when I do my stints, like in the summers in, in Rochester, I would love to be able to set up some sort of summer camp. So I know there'll become a time where I'm going to start looking for some volunteers who want to help out with a summer camp or volunteer if they teach music, if they teach art, if they, you know, and sort of make it this sort of swan dreams camp uh, where we can just sort of all the fine arts. Um, I would love to just sort of give back to community and, and teach children and have them be exposed to it. So that's something that I'll be working on as well. Oh, man. From from a little girl, just a ball of energy bouncing <laughs> down the street to coming all the way back here and throwing on all these different events and organizations for the community. This is awesome. Aisha, uh, we, could, we couldn't have done this podcast without you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me and being able to share my story with your listeners. Thank you. 